congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have just read from Genesis chapter 16, and as you have noticed, it is a relatively uh, short chapter. But in this short chapter, I must say that there are some wonderful, uh, practical, spiritual uh, teachings and instructions for you and for me. And I pray that this may also be the case for us this morning as well. We all know that we need practical spiritual instructions, and we can be very thankful that the Word of God gives that to us. And so I I pray that such practical spiritual instructions may be for each one, young and old, whether we are single or whether we are married, whether we are uh, alone. It is for every one of us what we have here in this chapter, and there's something for every one of us here. And I pray that you may also see this as well. Now, Genesis 16 is a chapter of both human manipulation, but also a chapter in which we read of God's wonderful mercies as well. Human manipulation in regards to getting children and having those children obtain an inheritance, but at the same time of God working through these these manipulations in order to bring out his mercy. And so I want to consider that with you this morning um, as we continue then in the life and times of Abraham. Human manipulations and God's mercies is our theme. And I have five considerations uh, for you. First, human manipulation seen. Secondly, human manipulation suffered. Thirdly, God's mercies seeking. Fourthly, God's mercies shown. And then fifthly, God's mercies celebrated. Now, congregation, as our text chapter opens... We meet with Abraham and Sarai as they are already in old age. They are a couple who have matured, you can say. By this time, Abraham is 85 years old and Sarai about 75 years old. Abraham and Sarai have become materially rich. We read, for instance, in Genesis 14, that Abram had no less than 318 uh, servants, trained servants, who were born actually in his own house. Just imagine, 318 trained servants. So, obviously, Abram and Sarai were well-to-do. But by the grace of God, and this can also be said with some instruction, by the grace of God, their wealth has not turned them away from God and from the worship of God. At this time, they are definitely still a God-fearing couple, although that too needs to be said, not without faults, not without failings either. They have been through some very difficult and dramatic times. They have seen happy times together, but they have also seen some sad times, particularly in their marriage. And one matter that has come to the forefront 
and that has brought them much sadness is that they are still a childless couple. A childless couple. We read already of this in the very first uh, lines of our text chapter. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, way back in Genesis 11, we were told already that Sarai was, was barren. Now, this means, of course, that there was something within Sarai that made, her impossible, made it impossible for her to conceive children. And no doubt, it was a grief to her, and we know this. But it is at that particular time that human manipulations kicks in. If God does not give them children in the way that they are supposed to come, they will begin to take matters in their own hands and see what can be done. Now, it is understandable, and it is an understandable disappointment to couples who cannot have children. To get married and then to remain childless through no fault of yours must be difficult to cope with. And we who have children, by the grace of God, we need to be sensitive to such cases as well. For a married woman to be barren or for a husband to be infertile can be quite dramatic and in my ministry of a good number of years, I've met with such couples, and I've seen them weep in my study because of that as well. And so we need to be sensitive to these matters, dear people. It is very traumatic for a Christian couple to have to go through such a, a concern. Now, I also know that science and and medical technology have made great strides in, in child conception. And I don't want to reject everything offhand in what has been discovered, in what the wisdom God has given to doctors and, 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 and those who are involved in this matter. But we personally, we must always study the matter very, very carefully that the ways and means remain moral and ethical and that no human manipulation takes over with us and that it remains moral and ethical at all times. And I need to underline this. Abram and Sarai, however, went in the wrong direction. You know the story? Sarai, Abram's wife, seeing that, humanly speaking, she was not going to get a child, decided to take matters in her own hands. She offered Hagar, her Egyptian handmaid, slave girl, to her husband, Abram, to take her as his wife. To be sort of a second-hand wife, to be a... I suppose you could call it a concubine to him, although um, she became legally his wife. Not to love, not to cherish, but to have a child with. Now, apparently, this was a, a common practice in, in the Gentile countries all around them. Abram, however, agreed. He should not have, but he did. And so we read that Sarai gave Hagar 
to her husband Abram to be his wife. And then we read in verse 4, So he went into Hagar and she conceived. Highly unethical, highly immoral. But it worked. It worked. True enough. Human manipulation can sometimes be very, very successful. But it carries a toll. A toll of grief, a toll of sorrow, a toll of suffering. We know that. The congregation, when, when people begin taking the begetting of children into their own hands and go about it in an immoral and in an unethical way, they must count on troubles. Abram and Sarai certainly discovered that as well, as we must consider then in the second place, human manipulations suffered. Hagar conceived and she was with child. But it immediately raised the troubles and the tensions in that very household of Abram and Sarai, and now also Hagar. Hagar began to despise Sarai. Sarai and Hagar could not get along with each other anymore, and the household began to suffer through bitterness, no doubt through strife and arguing and whatever comes along with that. At a certain point, Sarai wants to wash her hands of the whole affair, and she goes up to her husband Abram and tells him, my wrong be upon you. In other words, I'm putting the wrong upon you, Abraham. I'm putting the blame on you. Now you wonder what direction Sarai went. She wanted to wash her hands of it all. But now in a certain sense, in a certain sense I say, Sarai was correct. After all, Abram, as head of the wife and also as guardian of the family, should have acted responsibly and he should have spoken very decisively against the suggestion that Sarai had made. But since he had not done this, he has to carry the blame. And therefore, I want to address fathers and husbands and those who hope someday to be fathers and husbands. The moral and ethical standards of the household are your responsibility. As head of the house and of the family, you are responsible that the things are done in a biblical and in a God-honoring manner. Now, I realize that this is a big responsibility for us as fathers and as husbands. But we must take this responsibility very, very seriously. And we need to be much in prayer for this as well. That God may give you and me the strength and the wisdom and the tact as well to deal with this in a right, godly, and loving, and caring way. Therefore, let us be sure that as heads of the family that we be that in the right way, in the biblical way. You're responsible, therefore, for the spiritual well-being of your loved ones, particularly the spiritual well-being. Therefore, be careful not to lead them astray. Abram's family life, it suffered because human manipulations took over 
in the family. We read of that in the chapter that goes on for us. The situation between Sarai and Hagar gets worse and worse, and it comes to the point where Hagar runs away. Human manipulations invariably bring suffering to those who are involved. Abram suffered from it. Sarai suffered from it. And so did Hagar as well. And so the next thing is that we see her sitting there at a fountain, a a spring of water in the wilderness on the way to Shur, uh, somewhere in the direction towards Egypt. We read of that in verse 7 in the desert. She has made her escape from her home. What's going to happen to her at this point? Well, we should feel kind of sorry for her, don't we? Because what she has had to go through. Here is this poor Egyptian slave girl feeling used by Abram and Sarai, perhaps even somewhat abused as well by Sarai, her mistress. And she sits there in the wilderness as a runaway, forsaken, forlorn, perhaps confused, and no doubt greatly troubled. Will God have anything to do with that kind of a person? Well, I can tell you, by way of the gospel, he sure does want to have something to do with that kind of person. And this will come out, therefore, in my third point, as we want to consider God's mercies seeking. The next thing we know and read about is that the angel of the Lord is there to speak with Hagar. And by the way, whenever the Old Testament speaks of the angel of the Lord in this fashion, we may, ex- we may accept it as a truth, as most theologians point that out to us, that it most likely refers to the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, that is, before he was ever born upon this earth. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate as the angel of the Lord. Well, now, listen how friendly he speaks to Hagar. Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? Now, these words were spoken, dear people, through the seeking mercies of the Lord God. True enough, the Lord God could have turned his back to this whole sordid affair spawned by human manipulations. He could have washed his hands, so to speak, and say, I want nothing to do with this anymore. But instead, it is the Lord God, you see, in his mercy, who goes to seek out those who are in need of his help. And what a blessed thing it is to know this from Scripture. The seeking mercies of the Lord our God, through Jesus Christ, found Hagar. And dear people, the Lord our God is still the same today. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And his mercies, they are still busy seeking out those who are troubled. Now perhaps 
There are those here who are troubled. Perhaps you too have been a victim of human manipulations of sorts and feel used or perhaps even abused at one time. Perhaps it is a family bitterness that has troubled you or perhaps you are troubled because of past sins. Whatever it might be, but you are troubled. Well, remember then that the Lord our God is there in His mercies seeking you. Seeking you. And even this hour, the Lord our God, dear people, through His Word and through His Holy Spirit is busy seeking you as well and asking you the question, similar to what he asked of Hagar at that time. Where are you at? Where are you from? Where are you going? And you may, just like Hagar did, speak to the Lord, therefore, about your troubles. And dear people, that is part of communicating with God in prayer. Now, you and I, we are so inclined by our nature to keep things to ourselves, don't we? We bottle it up, so to speak. We might be deeply troubled inside, but we don't want to speak to others about it. We don't want to see those, those troubles resolved in any way other than by God himself. And therefore, it is best for you and me to go to the Lord God in prayer with our troubles and just lay them out before him. Lord, help me. Now, further instructions from this passage. You don't need to use fancy words. You don't need to engage in elaborate speech either. Hagar spoke very simply to the angel of the Lord and expressed her troubles in a very plain way. I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Now, this is simple enough, isn't it? But at the same time, and listen carefully to what she says here, at the same time, it's a bit of a confession as well. And dear people, therefore, as you speak to the Lord God about your troubles, and as you make confession to him of the difficulties that you have faced, perhaps because of certain sins or certain human manipulations, then listen also to the instructions that the Lord God gives to you through his word and spirit. And follow those instructions. Even though those instructions may not be easy for you to follow, they certainly were not easy instructions for Hagar to follow, to be sure. Well, what were those instructions then that the angel of the Lord gave to Hagar? Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Hagar, go back. Go back. Now, this takes me to my fourth point. As Hagar follows those instructions, I must speak now about God's mercies shown. Now, in this, in this whole story about the ancient world and, and the life of Abram, 
Hagar has not played a very important role, very significant role at all. She was but an Egyptian slave girl, used and abused. But Hagar was most important and significant to the Lord God. She was important and significant to the Lord God in that God showed to her that she would have a child and that some of his great mercies would also be with her as well. The Lord promised to Hagar and to her descendants that those descendants would multiply greatly. In other words, no, they were different than the promises that Abram received. Nevertheless, these were promises of a similar nature. She would have many descendants. The promises of the Lord came to her. And true enough, we know that this also happened as well. The child that she would give birth to would be a son whom she would have to call Ishmael, which means God has heard. That's what Ishmael means. Ishmael would become a rather independent fellow, a wild man, so we are told in verse 12, which actually says in the original, a, a wild donkey. In other words, Ishmael would be a very busy man in various ways. He would no doubt be a hardworking man, sufficient, self-sufficient, and quite adaptable to wilderness and desert life. Ishmael would be quite able, no doubt, to defend himself and make a way of life for himself, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren, so we are told. In other words, he will actually make a name for himself and establish his presence about himself that will have to be reckoned with among the sons of Abraham. Now, uh, you might know this already, but this is actually a picture of the Arab people, even of today. Because from Ishmael, Hagar's son born and begotten, rather begotten of Abraham, has come the Arab people. And this is why, by the way, that the Arabs today claim themselves also to be children of Abraham, just like the people of Israel claim the same source and the same thing. And by the way, isn't the conflict between Israel and the Arab people today being fulfilled as well and continues to be fulfilled? What we read here in Genesis 16, verse 12, He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Isn't that what is happening even today? Now, little did Sarai know when she gave Hagar as wife to her husband, she became the originator, actually, of a rivalry and of a conflict that would last throughout the centuries and is carried on even to this present day. Well, this is just an aside, really. But for Hagar at that time, it was the mercy of the Lord that was shown to her. The Lord promised that he would take care of her 
and that he would take care of her child, Ishmael. Now, I want to bring this across in this way, because, my friend, you too might feel unimportant. You too might feel insignificant, even like Hagar did, this runaway slave girl in Abram's days. You might feel yourself not worth much at all. You might even feel yourself being rather used by others, perhaps even misused, perhaps even abused by others. And you may have lost a sense of self-worth as well. But remember, in God's eyes, dear people, you are important, you are significant to him, And just like Hagar, an object to show mercy. To show mercy. Because after all, God is a merciful God. God is a God who looks upon the needs and the troubles of people who find themselves in trouble and have nowhere to go. In fact, God is pleased to show his mercy. And when needy and troubled people call out to him, they will receive his merciful attention even as Hagar received it. Now, how can we be so sure of this, you ask? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who once appeared to Hagar as the angel of the Lord, gave his life for poor needy, troubled people who have learned to cry out to him. And then when we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, their people, he became poor. And we read of that in the scriptures. He became despised by people. We can even say that he became abused by people, particularly as he hung on the cross. Even before that, that he was abused. The Lord Jesus Christ, he knows perfectly well what it means to go through such difficulties and such troubles and such trials and such abuse. He understands it, dear people, and therefore he can be so merciful to people who go through similar, though not crucifixion, difficulties. And we thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his understanding, and we thank him that he is the one who goes out now, even today, to look for needy and troubled people who have learned to cry out for help from him. They have learned then to confess to him where they are at, where they are going. And Lord, I don't know where this is going, but help me. They have learned, therefore, to look to him, that is, to the Lord Jesus Christ, for mercies. And they are there, then they there also will listen to him as well and listen to his word as Hagar did. And so the question can be asked, are there any listening this hour who must admit being troubled because of what has been done to them? Are there any who are troubled perhaps because of what they have done to themselves? The Lord Jesus Christ once said, I did not come to call the righteous, 
but to call sinners to repentance. I came to seek and to save the lost. My friend, if Hagar could be shown mercy, such mercies can be shown to you as well. Therefore, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Call out to him for help and trust in God. Trust in God that he will be merciful to you as well. It was after all God's seeking mercy and God's seeking mercy that that found a hopeless Hagar there in the desert. You can never be so hopeless but that you can find mercy with God. And now fifthly yet, in the last place, God's mercy celebrated. Our text makes it very clear, I believe, that Hagar did not just go up and carry on with life again. No, something special happened right after that. She made a point of first commemorating and celebrating God's mercies towards her. And again, she did it in a very simple way as well. Nothing dramatic, nothing fanciful, to be honest. So how did she celebrate the mercies of God then? By calling the place where the angel of the Lord had met her by a special name, Bear Lahiroi, literally, well of the one who lives and sees me. Now, why did she call this place that way? Because she experienced the angel of the Lord as the God who sees, as the God who sees. And this was Hagar's way of celebrating the mercy of God. And dear people, the God who sees is the one who sees us today, each one of us, each one of us. He sees us in our difficulties and whatever state we are in. And this is a very important lesson for you and me to learn as well, that we are always under the seeing eye of God and what that can do for us when a temptation comes at us. And we feel inclined to go in that direction. God sees us. I remember when I was still a young teenager that I asked my father if I could go to a movie. My dad did not say yes or no. But he says, well, Hank, when you go there, remember that God sees you. Will you feel comfortable there? I didn't dare go. I didn't dare go. God sees us, dear people. And that is a very important lesson to learn. It was for Hagar, the slave girl. Namely, when God is pleased to show his mercy, it is because he sees her. He wants then also to be recognized God wants to be praised for it as well. God is pleased to see his mercy celebrated amongst us. 
And this does not have to be done in a very dramatic way or in an attention-grabbing way whatsoever. It may be done in very simple ways, dear people, simply remembering the time and the place when God has been merciful to you so that we as the people of God can say, come, let me tell you what God has done to my soul. Can we speak of that, dear people? The place where you are sitting in right now has therefore been a little bare Lahiroi for you as well, perhaps. The Lord has seen you. He has seen you in your condition. And He has looked upon you with undeserved favor. He has shown you His mercies, you see. And what a great thing it is to know that God is a merciful God and therefore acknowledge His mercy and praise Him for it. And also this is for our dear young people, whoever you are, wherever you are listening to. This is the place here in church. This is what the church is all about after all. Through the Bible reading and through the hearing of the proclamation of the gospel, the Lord is pleased to meet with you and with me again. He is pleased to see you. He is pleased to speak with you. And this means that you are therefore important to him. As important as Hagar was to the angel of the Lord. Let this place therefore and this time become a place and a time to be celebrated. How? By responding to his friendly question. Where are you at? At this moment. And so my dear young friends. Where are you at? In this life today. Where are you at? Where are you going? With your life? Are you perhaps. Inclined to run away. Run away from responsibilities. Running away from God. Running away from committing yourself to him. Is that perhaps the way you want to go? Well, Hagar could tell you that running away is not the solution. It only makes life more miserable, more hopeless, and more lost. Why not do like Hagar did and tell your troubles to the Lord and confess your need of him? And then don't fail to tell him what is bothering you. And then let him show you his mercy. And he will do so, you see. He will do so as you begin to respond favorably to his word of direction. For Hagar, it was, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. But for you, it might be, return to a life of obedience to the word of God. Return to a life of prayer with God. Return to a life of willing and ready service to the Lord God. Return, return to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do, you will very soon discover that God is abundant in mercy and that he is full of goodness and that he is a kind, loving, kind God. You will soon discover that it will be a joy and a pleasure to serve the Lord God. 
you will soon discover that what the Lord God has done is worthy of celebration. Now, Hagar found her purpose in life, and so can you, and that with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Hagar, the purpose of her life is described in the last two verses of our text chapter. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. It started off sinfully, didn't it? Through human manipulations. But God's mercies won the day. And so, dear people, things may have started off wrong for you. It may have started off in a sinful way for you. But no wrong way, no sinful way is too big for the Lord. He can turn things around for you, to be sure. And therefore, let his mercies bring you hope. Plead on it. Trust in his mercies. And when his mercies have begun to work in you and with you, then praise the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father who is the Father of mercies and Jesus Christ who has worked those mercies through his sacrifice on the cross. And so may the Spirit of the Son and of the Father lead us to the joys of